Hey everybody, how's it going? I hope you all are doing well out there. Thanks for tuning in to Interviews with Chris. I am your host, Chris Tryon. This episode features a very special guest. It's safe to say that my view on music and the trajectory of the interest in my life would be very different if this person did not exist. This person is Justin Pearson. You may know him from playing in The Locust, Dead Cross, Deaf Club, Headwound City, Retox, Some Girls, and the list goes on and on and on. He's also the owner of 31G Records. He's an author. He's done some voiceover for cartoons and some acting. Even toss in some DJing in there. I mean, is there something that he doesn't do? I don't know. But what you'll find out is that the majority of the time that he's involved in some sort of project regardless of the medium. I still remember sitting passenger side in my friend's white 96 Jeep Cherokee when he popped in the Locust's Plague Soundscapes. I had no idea what I was listening to. I didn't understand what was going on. And you know what? I loved every single second of it. That was about 15 years ago, and I'm still jamming that album strong. This was a formative and defining moment in my life, and I mean it in every positive way. JP's been gracious enough to participate in interviews with me in the past, but now I have him on the air. Get ready for some great stories, whether they're about being on the road or just about life in general. Strap yourself in and enjoy. Here's my conversation with JP. Hey, JP, how's it going? <laughs> it's good, man. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this interview. How are things going with you? Uh, it's okay. It's it's um, it's weird, to say the least, but uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'm not dead or anything, so it's, it can't be too bad. <laughs> is everything <laughs> reopening in San Diego, or is it still pretty calm in your area? Uh, no, I mean, there. it's funny, like, I work at this studio nearby, and uh, it, there's like shops on the street that I thought were opened. And then I realized it was like pickup stuff, you know, like not, not food, obviously food places are pickup, but um, there was like a clothing store that my friend owns. And, and like, I was like, Oh, they're open. That's weird. But then I realized she was just like having people pick stuff up. So no, it's, it's still totally closed down. Yeah. I was actually in San Diego before the whole pandemic broke out. A friend of mine lives in the Pacific beach area. So okay. I hung out with her for a little while over a weekend, and it was just kind of weird because when I came back to Arizona, I'm currently living in Phoenix, it was like, oh, we're holing up, you know? It's completely like out in the beach. There's a bunch of people hanging out, walking down the streets. I don't remember the particular streets I was walking down, but it was lively, energetic. Then when I came back, it was just like, oh, we're just holing up. 
you know, for yeah. months. I mean, it, you know, it's been like that. And it, it was kind of weird. There was like this point where um, the bioluminescence in the ocean was like happening or whatever. And so like, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like, yeah, if you would, I saw some pretty good night, photos. Yeah. So my girlfriend and I wanted to go check it out. So we, we like had to avoid cops, like to get out onto the beach to see it and stuff, you know, it's kind of weird, you know, but like nobody was allowed out. It seemed like they deployed the border patrol to the coastline at the beaches so people wouldn't go out. But, um, but now you can like walk on the beach and stuff. You just can't stop, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, I'll, like I'll take my dog out and walk him on the beach, but yeah, like if you stop, you'll get ticketed or whatever. So it's, it's still totally weird. Yeah, it seems that people are, you know, eager to get back to the routine. So it's kind of interesting to see what that transition is for them right now. Yeah, I mean, I, so I I sense the eagerness. I mean, it was, you know, like a guy spoke with one of my bandmates today. He lives up a little bit past Los Angeles. And he was like saying how like we probably won't be touring for another year or so, you know, and, and, and like kind of he was kind of like tripping out and like he's a bit older than me. So he's, you know, he's bit more well-known and so like uh he i think he was just like kind of maybe tripping out more than than i am because it's like i mean we can stress out and worry about it but like it is what it is so but so i get it but then at the same time like i think that it's just a trip with like these dipshit like militia people like going and protesting or like people like yelling at the first responders and and you know publicly like uh, trying to like have this like sort of like you know display of rebellion against uh, the like stay at home order, which I don't know. It's just wild. Times. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm somewhat educated and, and I, and I'm like, you know, I don't fucking understand this shit. And like for these other people that just kind of get out there and start flipping their shit on other people just seems a little premature or kind of ridiculous, but you know, there's a lot of assholes on this planet. So it is what it is. Definitely. Well, I'm going to step aside from all this coronavirus talk and <laughs> get down to business here. Cool. But um, for as long as I've been following your work, you've always been involved in some sort of project. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But currently you're in the Locust, Dead Cross, Death Club, Planet B, and Satanic Planet. Is that correct? You did it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I had to dig, you know, to <laughs> find out about all of them that are currently yeah, up and yeah. running. Well, so yeah, I mean, the Satanic Plan thing's not really a band yet. I mean, we we actually were supposed to play shows right before the pandemic hit, um, and I'm not not that I'm grateful for the pandemic, but I'm glad we didn't end up playing because I don't I think it was super premature, and our record wasn't done and still not done. So yeah, but yeah, those are the five like active projects that I'm dealing with right now. Okay, and you also run your record label Three One G. You're also an author. You do some acting on the side, I guess, to a certain extent. And you actually have got a new documentary, Don't Fall in Love with Yourself, which I'm super excited about. Uh, so it seems like you're still super busy despite the way the world is right now. Well, yeah. I mean, so, you know, a lot, a lot of that stuff spread out over time. I mean, I'm not currently writing any new books I, where I wish I was. I, I have like a couple. Um, you could write a book about this. <laughs> I, yeah, but so can everybody else, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the thing is it has to be a little bit more unique, I think, where someone's going to want to like read it, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've, I've been busy writing a lot of, a ton of lyrics, but um, as far as like the documentary and stuff, which is pretty flattering that anybody gives a shit to make a documentary, um, that itself isn't even done. Like the director had scheduled more interviews with people and like they were going to fly out and do a couple 
things and then like this happened so um but it's it's like 90% done i think so uh, yeah i don't really have a whole lot in, involved in it in, involvement in it at this point i mean they they interviewed a bunch interviewed me a bunch and then that was kind of like my extent but yeah and the other stuff i mean the the other like the band stuff it's like the locust stuff got put on hold the dead cross stuff's kind of on hold but i, I i've been like luckily the studio that luke henshaw from planet b and satanic planet owns is really close to my house so like him and i have been working on things quite a bit lately so it's not too bad but yeah that's what's going on i guess well i'm looking forward to it all one question i have is has there ever been a lapse where you've never been in a band from when you were 15 in your band struggle to now i don't think you've ever given yourself a breather um i mean yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I'm sure between like struggle breaking up and swing kids starting, there was some time. But I mean, it's weird to think back, you know, I'm 44. So it's weird to think back when I was like 17 and 18. I think that there was like maybe a, a, at least a year of me not playing in a, in a band because struggle broke up when I was 17. And I don't think swing kids started until I was 19. So I mean, that was maybe the only time that I haven't been in a band. But like also, you know, the bands aren't always totally active. I mean, I think there was points, you know, in the locust where like, you know, maybe we didn't tour for, I don't know, a year or something, but I, I can't really, that's a blur at this point, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm constantly doing something. Well, it's definitely awesome for fans like myself. I just imagined that it could be a little fatiguing at times, but kind of going deeper into 3-1-G, 3-1-G is your brainchild. I recently heard on an interview, it was actually a podcast interview you did on Scream Therapy, that the label kind of started from repressing a Swing Kids 7-inch. Would you say it was created out of necessity, or had you always dreamt of being a record label owner? No, no, I, I never dreamt of it. I mean, I never even dreamt of being a musician or, or any kind of artist. I mean, it kind of just, it kind of just happened. And I think, I don't know if ne- the word necessity is the correct word, but it's like, I think it just... I think I just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, when I was growing up and like looking at like, uh, you know, musicians and, and bands and stuff, you know, like my, my reference point was odd because I would look, I would look at like a band, like, I don't know, like when I was a little kid, I was really into Van Halen and, and like, I liked, you know, sticks or like, I don't know, Michael Jackson or Stevie wonder or something. And it never seemed like I was that, you know, I never could really understand it. And so at some point, you know, when I was 15, my friends and I started a band and it was kind of, it wasn't that we were comparing ourselves to Van Halen and I never would want, I never could like, you know, compare to that, but, but it was another thing on its own. And I thought like, Oh, well we could just do this. And then starting a record label is kind of the same thing. It was like, it wasn't like I wanted to, you know, be like, you know, Capitol records or EMI or whatever, you know, it was just, it was kind of like, you know, it, kinda, it was like a gradual thing, you know, because in my first band, we released a song on a compilation that was put out on ebullition records. And then, and then eventually put out a record on ebullition. And so then there was just kind of like a gradual, like, okay, well, I can record stuff and put it out on vinyl and um, have it exist, you know? And so I think like the, with the swing kids EP coming out, it was just like, people would approach us and say like, Oh yeah, we want to put, you know, your band on this comp and or on this record or do whatever. And then I started realizing like, Oh man, I don't think we really have a whole lot of control. And it kind of like, if we let someone else do it, it kind of, it could kind of suck, you know, and we were like fortunate to deal with labels like um, Ebullition who kind of like set a standard for us. So in my mind, I thought like, well, shit, I'm going to at least do this like as good as Ebullition. And I'm not sure that I ever was able to pull that off. 
or like wasn't able to pull that off right away or whatever. But, um, but I had friends like gravity records and, and, um, you know, like Matt from, that runs gravity records and Bob who runs vinyl communications, both San Diego labels that kind of like showed me like a little bit of inspiration and, and sort of like made me feel like I could do it. And I was fortunate enough to like take the repress of the swing kids seven inch and also uh, release an unbroken single, which at the time the two bands were, were like somewhat known and, and touring and stuff. So it was, it was fairly easy to, to start a label and put stuff out. But I, I wouldn't say it was a necessity. It was kind of just like, that's just what we did. Where, where I guess like most kids yeah. that are like, I don't know, 18 or 19, maybe have a different priority. I don't know. But for me and for my friends that, you know, that involved with the label and, and bands and stuff, that was like our world, you know? And so it kind of, it just seemed like what we had to do, I guess. Well, I'm glad you created it. And I've got to say that all the merchandise you've put out is unique, whether it's skateboards or Death Club hot sauce or un- <laughs> uniquely shaped vinyl, whether it's hearts or, you know, the Chigsaw puzzle pieces on the Flight of the Wounded Locust, which is one of my favorite vinyls oh, that I have. But action figures, I- I'm sure I'm missing a lot of stuff. Calendars, I, I have but no so, idea. Yeah, but-, but even with that, like, I can't really necessarily take credit. The, the thing that I, that, I, that I sort of see in, in retrospect is like, there's an option that kind of like presents itself or like there's like a, yeah, like I guess an option like, Hey, do you want like this friend of mine makes hot sauce? Do you want to make hot sauce? And you're like, that doesn't sound like the best idea, but like, I really like hot sauce and like, fuck, why not? You know? And I guess it's like kind of like this like stupid novelty thing to do shit like that. I don't know. Do you eat the I hot sauce? It's fucking hot as hell. It's so good. But like, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's not like something that, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it depends on the band and like who's involved in it. It seemed odd. I mean, like with the locust is like as campy as the band has been. I think like the locust can do stupid shit, like have soap or whatever, you know, or like whatever kind of comes our way, but you, it's always like, Hey, so-and-so like can do this for us, like for really cheap or free or whatever. Like, and the thing is like, for the most part, all these bands are like not making money and losing money. And I can't really, you know, I'm not the, I'm not in a position to be like, Nope, uh, we're not going to have that shit for free to sell because we, you know, it's like, we need to put gas in our, you know, van and pay fucking rent or what rehearsal rent or our rent at our houses or whatever. So it's like, I don't think I'm at Liberty to say like no to shit, you know? So I just say like, yes. And then it usually ends up seeming like maybe we're kind of insane, which is cool. I, I, I suppose. I mean, the whole like, locust coke mirror controversy i think helped get the band you know more notoriety than like we had anticipated or even were asking for so like i'm glad we did it and it paid some of the bills on tour and stuff so it's uh, i don't know most people i think would maybe kind of like not be as quite open to to things happening well i guess it kind of also boils down to the mindset because i remember uh, Gabe Serbian was giving haircuts, and Gabe Serbian is drummer of the Locust, <laughs> yeah. on an 05 Locust tour, or run, shall I say, that you had with Cattle Decapitation yeah. Daughters. And yeah, as I a, remember that, yeah. And as like a 15 or 16-year-old, I was just like, whoa, like, they're doing haircuts? And not only, th- <laughs> not only that, it was this motel in El Paso. Yeah, it was called, I told, dude, I know. It's, it's called the Horror Bar, but and that stands for House of Rock and Roll. And if I'm not mistaken, it was called the Coronado Motel and it was on Mesa Street. And I saw so many shows there and 
saw so many things that I don't think my mom would have really approved of as a 15 year old <laughs> or 14 year old. But I just remember even talking to you guys, you know, before the show and me and my friend were just like, whoa, they're giving haircuts. And it was, it was such an awesome show. Thanks. Yeah. I think that was a, a weird tour for us. And, um, that was the very end of the tour. And I think we started losing our shit by that point, like mentally, you know, like we were just like, fuck, how, and, you know, uh, how, yeah, like, why were you losing your minds? Or was it just like, I mean, two months tour? of this, you know, two months of the tour, like, it was a pretty r- weird tour, like right off the bat, there was like, a lot of hostility between some of the bands. And so we were like, there was like this, like, air of like negativity that kind of was like following everybody. And it was, I don't know. And then my like, haircut. <laughs> well, and then so also like, no offense to, to, I thought it was in Arizona, but I guess it was El Paso, huh? But no offense to like that venue or that city, but like getting there and you're just kind of like, fuck man, like now we're stuck at this spot the rest of the night, you know? And it was like, (laughs) that's kind of like how tour is like, you know, you're in your van for, you know, eight to 12 hours or however long the drive is. And then you're, then you're stuck at the venue and then you do the same thing again. And it's fine, but like, I think, you know, it'd been like two months of that. We were kind of just like losing it. And I think Gabe was just like, I remember it being like super hot and like, I think he might, I have photos of him doing that. Like, I think he was like in his underwear. It was in the summer. Yeah. So I think he was like wearing underwear and like his locust mask. (laughs) Like it just, and Gabe's a pretty interesting and creative human being. And so I think he made like this, like sort of like spin the dial kind of thing. And it like would, you'd spin it and it would tell you what kind of haircut you were going to get. And that was it. Like he wasn't fucking around. Like, so you were like, (laughs) gonna get like a mohawk or a mullet or like whatever i don't know what the options were you know and and that was that people seemed kind of psyched on it it was kind of like it, again like a novelty thing but it was like we were trying to pass time you know we were stuck in el paso like what else are we gonna do you know and at that point we were like looking forward to getting home i think so but the show was rad i remember i remember the show totally awesome like super low small stage and like the crowd yeah, I remember seems to be kid, pretty red. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's always ever changing like any sort of city. But I remember people kind of being crushed up against the, the bass drum. <laughs> and it was yeah. just like a, a really tight space. There's still a general area where people can move around. But the general vicinity where people were like congregating was just like being packed like a sardine can and just completely <laughs> up right up against you. And it, it was awesome. But on the topic of being on the road for so long, one of my questions that I had was being in the music industry for so long, like yourself, was there ever any point where you wanted to kind of step away from it all? It doesn't seem like it at all, but I thought I'd ask because I definitely admire your longevity in the industry and everything you've done because there's definitely labels that like, I don't know, GSL or Gravity or, you know, that are defunct and aren't doing anything so i mean 3-1-g is continuing to do stuff you're still in it like has there ever been a point where you're just like you know what i need to take you know step back from it all it's a pretty a pretty loaded question i guess because like for one i've thought about it in my head like fuck this you know and then like what else am i gonna do though like i'm gonna start over doing something else i guess like jokingly i said this but i'm very honest about it like i did some stuff for cartoon network like a like a voice cartoon voiceover thing Uh, i watched the episode today thanks if that was to present as a as a new like career i totally would be like fuck this music shit and just go do that (laughs) i mean i would still want to play in bands 
but like for the most part, like I could do that and like make a decent income and it's like really fun and easy and seemed like natural work for me, but it didn't present itself yet, unfortunately. So back to the drawing board, like what else am I going to do? Like, well, I'm going to keep sticking this out. And it's not that like, I don't necessarily, I'm not, I don't doing this for money. Cause if I was, I, I would have stopped a long time ago. I, I actually like, like with three, one G I end up paying to run the label. Like it's kind of insane actually how much it cost me. Like I owe a bunch of money to, to people, like to bands, to artists, to repressing plants. But I also owe myself like almost 10 grand. Just like, fuck, I got to front this, the cost of this um, Mets seven inch or like the cost of this um, secret fun club. Rec- well, maybe not secret fun club because Sal paid for that, but, or like the NS record that we just put out or the drone normal record. Like someone has to pay for that and we don't have money coming in and I want to put it out. So like, I just pay for it from like, all my other shit that I do. And it's kind of a bummer because I probably won't ever see that money again, but it is what it is. So like in like relation to like labels, like GSL maybe is a good example or gravity is definitely a good example where like they kind of end up stopping, but technically I think gravity still exists, but regardless, I've constantly been active in playing music and putting new things out, which do appear on 31G or like branded by 31G, like a co-release thing with Ipecac or something like that would happen. Therefore, like it kind of seems like my involvement or like the involvement in the label still seems, I don't know, like needed for the survival of myself, but also like the survival of the label is sort of justified. And then it's like, then there are things that happen. Like a good example is, is Mets reaching out to 31G who are like, pretty much set as far as like their musical careers are concerned. They're on Sub Pop, which is a rad big label. They probably make a lot of money as a band, maybe more than I'll ever make, but they hit me up and they're like, we want to do a single on 3-1-G because it's 3-1-G. And I'm like, you know, and, and it took me a minute to kind of understand, but like they did it because of like the meaning of it means something to them. And for them to be associated with the label meant something to them. And like that's something that's like, so powerful and like i'm very like grateful that they feel that way and like that people see the label as something like that then that makes me think like well shit i gotta keep doing this because of that element as well and it's so rad i I fucking love mets and so when they hit me up and said that it was like oh hell yeah like this is rad and then it kind of gave it like another it added to like the meaning of keeping it a living entity you know like i'm like okay this makes sense this is justification and like the fact that I'm losing a shitload of money every day and I spend like hours and hours running a label that will never like pay me, you know, ever. So it is what it is. I, and as far as like, fuck, this is a long answer, but like, you know, I don't know what else I'm going to do. And if I, and if 3-1-G didn't exist, like, I don't know where all that music would go. It seems weird to me. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe at some point it'll, transition and only function is like an online thing and there won't be a whole lot of money that needs to be put into you know manufacturing of vinyl and stuff i mean right now i'm like this last couple weeks like i've been trying to clear out like the space that we have all of the dead stock in you know like which is mainly like cds that don't sell a couple records too but mainly cds and it's like i was just posting shit online like you want a box of these cds they're 30 count box just send me the shipping and you can have them because they're never going to sell. And like, I would rather not throw them away. And if anything, like I would rather some random person in like, let's say El Paso gets a box, a 30 count box of like a Jack's CD and like can give them to their friends. 
that's way fucking cooler than me throwing it away and people never hearing it. So yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. And and, you know, like when I started the label, like the internet didn't even exist. It was way simpler and easier. There was no social media. Like, I mean, fuck, it was a lot easier, A, a lot slower, but like a lot easier. And so like, there's, you know, each kind of like world of music then and now have its own pros and cons, but I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. And so I just kind of keep trying to like figure out a way to survive, I suppose. Yeah. And my apologies to Gravity Records. I think of like the VSS or Angel Hair or Antioch Arrow or whatever else other bands are out. I guess it kind of goes to my, I don't want to say ignorance, but I... I had no idea that they were still around. So I'm- I mean, I, don't, I mean, I think it's. I think they put. I mean, Matt probably puts out very few records these days. I, you know, and also like he was recently in a band that that I think he quit, but like he didn't want to put it out because I think he felt like, oh, I want someone else to do this, you know, and I want. And for the rest of the band, they had that whole thing like, well, we want to put a record out on Gravity, you know. I mean, still. Fuck, I still would be like honored to have a record come out that has like the Gravity logo on it. But I mean, it's it's a little bit different, I think, with other labels that I mean, I, occasionally someone will be like, whoa, three one G still a label. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sucks. But yeah, 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 we are, you know, like, you know, it's like it's not like we stopped or haven't put something out for like a few years. It's like, no, there's still shit coming out. It just people don't seem to know what it is or pay attention. Well, you've stuck it out, like you've said, and you've seen the transition as a label owner and as a musician of the days without internet or having like dial up to this digital age of immediacy where everything is at the touch of someone's fingertips or even a swipe on the phone. (laughs) What does it feel like for you to kind of see it all unfold? I mean, whether it's emotionally, financially, I know it's kind of a a weird question to frame and I don't want to give you another loaded long one, but do you like how easily accessible everything is or is it, I mean, is it harder to stay relevant as a label? Yeah, I, that's a good question too, because I don't know what staying relevant means. I just do whatever I can and, and I do whatever I do for myself. First and foremost, it's not like I'm doing it to like create something for people. I mean, yeah, I, I essentially like, you know, the bands that I am part of, like we're all doing this to for people, but like we do it for ourselves first and foremost. And then the outcome is, is the, you know, the payoff or whatever. But like, even if it just existed for ourselves, like that's fine. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old dick or whatever, you know, but like, I feel like now a lot of people's efforts are kind of cheapened in a sense, because like you do just swipe or you do just click and then it's yours. Cause before the internet and social media you had to like if you found something like you know like if you stumbled upon the vss pre-internet you found it was fucking something insane you know and you were like holy shit but now it's like let me just google that hold on or let me just you know search or this algorithm will find this thing for me that sounds just like this other thing or similar to you know like whatever it is so it's it seems like it's um it's, yeah, it's not quite as special. It's not, it's a little bit cheaper, you know, like that. it is what it is. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you literally can upload something and people all over the world can hear it right away where like before it would take months. I remember like going to Europe on tour for my first time and being like, how the fuck do these people know about us? You know, I just couldn't understand how they found out. I expected there to be zero people. And I mean, granted it was like 50 people, but I thought there'd be like five people, you know? So it was kind of crazy to experience that. And, but now it's like, well, now you can also like 
well, pre-pandemic, you know, you could kind of like gauge like, oh, we could go play this show in the city in this wherever in the world. And there'll probably be like this many people. That's pretty cool. Or you can like actually put effort into promoting it on your own where like, you know, you, before it was like you go on tour and you just hope that a promoter does it. I mean, you know, I remember being on tour with Airborne Radar and like showing up somewhere in Oregon. I, I don't know. It was like Eugene or something maybe. And this kid just like, didn't put on the show you know and we we're like dude this is bullshit and so like we were calling him you know on his on his oh, landline man. and we're like dude we you know like like we kind of didn't care that much the locust didn't we were just like whatever but airborne radar is like you know we fucking drove from providence like we're in portland like at least show your face you know and so the so this kid like shows up to this pizza place and it was like the f- most fucked up thing you know and we're like dude we would have like not stopped or booked another show or whatever, oh but now this night's wasted. Oh. And I remember like they made the kid cry and he, he wrote him a check for 200 bucks, you know? And like, we were just kind of like, damn dude, that was like a boss move. Like, well, we, and we, you know, we didn't need, we were like, you just keep the 200 bucks, but it was like a crazy thing because like now you could kind of, you kind of can't fault someone as much, you know, because like, yeah, maybe they made a Facebook event page and then, you know, farted it out onto the internet and hope that someone caught on, but the band can kind of like see okay, shit, no one's going to that or no one's been invited or, you know, like you could kind of like not necessarily regulate, but you can help steer things in some sort of direction or bail out before you get there, you know, and like say, fuck that, you know, because there's been times where, where, you know, I've been on tour and we like got to a city and we're like, holy crap, this is not good, you know? And so we would just like split and be like, fuck this, like, (laughs) you know, I mean, shit, I mean, I played a show in Pennsylvania or in, in Philly once where the fucking the dude that put on the show made us build the stage before we could play on it. It was so <laughs> fucked. And we're like, dude, this is crazy. I did not sign up for carpentry, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to laugh at your misery. It's just kind of wild. No, to think that, no, like that would happen. I'm still friends with the guy that put on the show. And I'm like, Jesus, I can't believe I put up with that guy still, you know? I mean, like everything these days is being governed by social media and the amount of artificial followers and likes that you have. And, I honestly kind of miss the old days. It makes it sometimes a little bit special, but there's pros and cons. But even just saying that kind of makes me seem like a jaded punk with a podcast. So I'll probably <laughs> stop there so people don't hate me and they still want to tune in. But uh, but to loosen things up a little, I've got a segment where I ask a batch of random questions. Some I've concocted myself. Others are questions that your fans have requested. I filtered some of the ones I felt were best. And there okay. aren't, any over ridiculous ones or idiotic ones because I don't want you to despise me by the end of this. But <laughs> I wouldn't you know. fault you. But go, okay, go on. <laughs> but there'll there'll be some fun ones. I I think here. I'll sprinkle them in. Are you ready? Sure. What's the last movie that you watched? Oh, I just watched Mandy the other night, which was decent. Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I've seen little pieces of it. Um, Luke Henshaw studio uh, from Planet B, like he rescored the film. So like occasionally I would see like these chunks of the film that he was rescoring just for himself, which is insane and on its own. So I was like, fuck, I probably should watch it because it, the pieces that I saw were crazy. And I think the cinematography was pretty rad. So anyhow, I, that was the last movie that I watched. What's the last book that you read? Oh, um, I haven't finished it, but I started reading Strange Cures by um, Rob Zabrecki. Uh, he's a magician, friend of mine. Right on. I'll have to check yeah. that out. A little bit more of a fun one, and this is going to deal with your comrade, 
You have a super cute Cocker Spaniel named Captain. <laughs> yes. Are Cocker Spaniels your favorite breed? I'm pretty sure you're like me where you love all dogs, but do you kind of lean towards other breeds? Like maybe you're a Great Dane guy or a pug guy or something? <laughs> I, I really want a bulldog uh, in my life. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I love Cocker Spaniels. They're, I think they're so, super cute. I, I got one um, when I was a child on accident, and then I, I, I've had two other Cocker Spaniels, Captain being one of them in my, in my life since then. But I mean... I don't know. Sometimes I'll walk around my neighborhood and like, especially now, like in the quarantine uh, era and my girlfriend and I will just cruise around with captain and we'll feed all the, the dogs that we can come across like in their yards at their houses. And like, there are these two pit bulls that are just so special and I would love to steal them <laughs> and have them live at our house. But, um, you know, I would never do that, but yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, again, like, I think it's just like the chance to meet a, a dog and then like, if you connect with them, then it's, that's that. I don't know. Yeah, I love all dogs. So I, I'm, I would be willing to uh, house and, and parent or co, you know, exist with whatever dog that <laughs> comes my way. Dogs are the best. They are. Now going into the realm of transportation, you drive an original Mini or even more specifically a Riley Elf. You post some photos on it. But if you had to trade in your car for another vehicle and the only two choices were a lifted Ford <laughs> F-350 truck or a neon green Corvette, which would you pick? <laughs> Fuck, man. I can't just pick public transportation at that point, huh? No. Um, I think you'd look rocking in a neon green Corvette, maybe. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I guess the thing I'm struggling with with my own car these days is like how impractical it is and how I want a, a little bit more of a practical means of transportation. So, I mean, do I want the lifted truck? That might be easier to like cruise around with my gear and stuff. Just depends on the on the other one, the neon green one. If if it has like a trunk space where I can like shove in my pedal board and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's those are weird questions. You know, it's like I would just take whatever one's probably got more value than like sell it and then go buy something <laughs> that would be fitting. <laughs> that would that's my practical. That's the way I work. You know, I'm like, all right, I'll take this one and then I'm gonna sell it and then do this. You know. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd never want to collaborate with either artist. I could totally be wrong, but would you rather collaborate with Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi if you had to? I would say Axl. And I'm not opposed to collaborating with anyone, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it would be interesting to see what would happen. I, I think I can... Both of those people are kind of annoying, but I would say like... Yeah, I would say Axel if I had to pick between the two. On the topic of higher profile people, who's a fan of yours, whether it's the Locust or any of the bands that you're in, that you're most surprised by? Like maybe Samuel L. Jackson likes Holy Moller or <laughs> Taylor Swift likes the Crimson Curse. I think I even yeah. saw that there's some country artist um, that was posted up with a Locust shirt, or unless that was like a hoax, but I thought I saw that. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I get. I guess I haven't really seen a whole lot of that. Um, someone from like one of the zombie shows, I guess, took a photo of the locust and was selling these like thousand dollar prints or something. Maybe they weren't thousand dollars; they're like five hundred dollars. And people were like freaking out because he's from the zombie TV show. And I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool. I don't know who that is." But I mean, um, Mark Wahlberg showed up at a locust show. And uh, that was wow. kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know why or how. This is kind of an interesting story. I'm friends with Michael Malarkey. I'm not sure if you are familiar with him. He is from the Vampire Diaries. 
but we're, we're friends now. But like at one point I remember like maybe when Instagram just started or something, I don't know how it was, but someone like posted this picture of a Crimson Curse record. And I was like, well, that's, that's, you know, whatever, there's this thing. And I was with my friend Alicia and she's like, dude, that person has like millions of followers on this thing. Like, what the fuck? And then I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what this is or who it is. And then it turns out like he had a locust <laughs> tattoo and she's like, holy shit, that's the guy from Vampire Diaries and this and that. And so, um, you know, and, and then we became friends and he's been on my podcast and we've talked briefly about like collaborating musically and stuff. And he's an awesome dude and I totally love him. But like, yeah, I guess at first I was like, who the fuck is this guy? He's a big deal. And, he, and he's got a locust tattoo. It's so weird, you know? So that's pretty cool, I guess. Right. Yeah. The coolest part is becoming friends with them. You know, that's awesome. But enough of my questions. Now we have some that your fans have requested. Texas Farsh asks, when is the new Dead Cross coming out? I wish I could answer that. So it's recorded. The music is recorded. The vocals aren't. And I'm not sure Patton's done writing the lyrics. And he keeps trying to like hint that he wants me to sing a, a bunch on the record, which is rad and flattering but um it's not done yet um the bass the drums and the guitar is all done so we're just kind of waiting on him so yeah it's in his hands now got it next one here Gothworm, aka james from las cruces new mexico asks what <laughs> advice do you have for a musician in their 30s struggling with creativity and imposter syndrome what's imposter syndrome do you know what that is Kind of like, how can I say this? He's doing something and maybe he feels like he's not good enough for it. Or for instance, huh. maybe somebody's hired on to a job and oh. maybe in reality they shouldn't have. Oh, got you it. Know, okay. That type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I don't like giving advice um, in general. I, I would just say like, because I mean, fuck, no one really... Actually, people give me advice. So, like, you should you should stop because your band sucks. And that was the advice I I think I ever really got, and that gave me like the push to keep going. I guess so. Like, maybe I don't know. I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask for advice on that. I would just say like, figure it out yourself. Do what you want for yourself, and be like, fuck it, and just do it. Yeah, and on the topic of imposter syndrome, just so I don't make myself sound like an idiot. It's kind of like almost doubting yourself. You know, you're doubting your accomplishments yeah. or having like some sort of persistent fear of being exposed as like a fraud. Oh, okay. Well, if they, if you are a fraud and they expose you, you just tell them to fuck off <laughs> and like roll with it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I think I've yeah. done a, a handful of things where like, not necessarily I'm a fraud, but like, man, I, I can't, I still can't read music. Like I probably should learn. Uh, the rest of the locust does and i'm the one that doesn't and like that, am i a fraud like i don't think so i mean i can keep up or i can write or like whatever so just do whatever the fuck you want and don't worry about everybody's shit you know awesome we're gonna go back into some happy questions about captain okay <laughs> this is from jonathan's flesh pudding okay <laughs> interesting names asks does captain your dog like the music you make no, he hates music. I know for a fact. And actually, we have a rehearsal space in my basement, and when we jam, he gets pretty bummed. 
because it's loud or whatever, you know, like, I, I mean, I think like if, even if it was like quieter, I don't think he'd be into it. I think occasionally like I've played stuff, not necessarily like my own bands, but just like weird shit. And some of the frequencies and tones are like not really normal, you know? And he's kind of like, what the fuck? And I'll see him like tilt his head, like trying to figure out like, is that a dying cat outside that I should bark at or what? You know? So yeah, I'm pretty sure he does not like music at all. Specifically doesn't like drums. It's too like startling. You know, I think he trips out on that shit. Okay. There, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Arani asks. Shit. Yeah, hey, buddy. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Danny Arani asks, what's your favorite sandwich the world wants to know? Damn, man. Maybe um, maybe a tempeh Reuben, I guess. I'll have to try one myself. Maybe once the COVID age is over, I'll... I'll have one. I don't think I've ever had. Um, yeah. Is that a specific like Reuben sandwich? Uh, it's you know like tempeh is like a vegan protein, uh, plant based protein. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I'm a fan of like sauerkraut, so I guess that would be like why I would pick that sandwich. All right. Eric in New Braunfels, Texas, asks: Do you enjoy demoing songs, or do you prefer saving things for the official recording? He also says he's a huge Some Girls fan, by the way. Oh, cool. I think it just depends on the on the project. That's it's like kind of weird to put it all as one thing. Like demoing is al- always good because you can kind of reflect on it and be like, "Oh, that's shit. It didn't hold up, you know, past a week or a month or whatever." So I've never like had any criticism with demoing, but also the other side of that coin is like sometimes I don't have the opportunity to demo, and it's just like, "Well, fuck, here it goes," and you just kind of hope it turns out, you know, decent or whatever. So. I'm a fan of demoing. I just don't know if it's always something I've been able to do. Cool. Next one here. Quédate en Casa Power. This is just going to be a quick two-parter since I haven't asked too much about San Diego. Her first question was, what's the best beach in San Diego? Second question, nicest person in San Diego. Huh. The best beach is interesting. I like Sunset Cliffs a lot. It's pretty rad to like see visually and also to like hike around so i'll say that is probably my favorite uh as person is interesting i don't know i mean uh, you could nominate uh, yourself i don't think i should do that um <laughs> i don't know i mean becky digilio i guess all right let's hop to another one here skip from el okay. paso texas asks what labels are putting out good shit right now huh um Epicac, they're always putting out rad stuff. There's been a few recent or semi-recent Death Wish releases that are rad. I'm a fan of Anti as well. What else? Sub Pop put out some pretty rad stuff from time to time. Um, I don't know. I mean, what's the the label? Um, Dias that that label's pretty rad. They put out like adult. Yeah, they put out a bunch of great bands. Um, yeah. I personally really enjoy that label, so that's awesome that yeah. you know, shout out there. Yeah. It's um I just recently realized that my friend Gibby uh I guess runs it. I didn't I didn't realize that for a minute, and so I was kind of tripping out when I discovered that an old friend of mine. So yeah, it's a pretty pretty rad label for sure. Kind of jumping into food here. Okay. Mike C. Fuentes asks, what's the worst thing you ate on tour? before going vegetarian um i i've 
not been on tour uh, prior to being vegetarian. That's what I thought too, because I actually researched it and you said that you had become vegetarian in your teens. So I know that yeah. you, I think he started going on tour around 14. So I was like, Hmm, I don't think he was like eating burgers or like corn dogs from a circle K at like 17. You, I'm, no, I, but I've still eaten like garbage though. You know I mean? That's, I think like, you know, when I was 15 and 16 on tour, the world of, uh, you know, plant-based diets was a lot different than it is now. So like, you know, also like pre-internet, like I show up in like, I don't know, wherever Sacramento or something. And you're like, I don't know where to go. Like, well, there's Taco Bell, you know, or like fucking Subway or whatever. And so you just get like some garbage, like fast food and then you just kind of roll with it. But, or like, there's always like the grocery store, like thing, you know, fall back on like hummus and chips and stuff. But I mean, for the most part, like, I'm creative enough to find the local co-op or whatever and like eat something that's healthy and vegetarian or vegan. Right on. And here's our last one. Sour Tide asks, will you ever do that super group with Devo, like the one in the pictures, which I'm assuming is from the photo you posted? Yeah, I, I um, that is not a question for me because that would be something that I would jump on in a second so like you can please direct that question to devo yeah i'll reach out to mark mothersbaugh and then we could get <laughs> we could get axel rose in on it too and you know form some crazy <laughs> super group that would be cool for sure Okay, getting back into more music-oriented questions. I read somewhere that your intent for the most part when you're writing music has been to destroy the perception of what people think of as music. This may have been more time period specific, but would you say this still holds true? You know what? I think I was a bit naive when I made that comment. I feel like as much as I still like think it holds true, I think I should have like articulated myself better and it does have to do with like the time because I remember like around then was like when we were, when the locust recorded plague soundscapes. And I remember like, for instance, like the enemy, which is like a weekly publication in the UK, when it came out, they did a review of plague soundscapes and we got 10 out of 10 and it was like a, a big deal. Like everybody was kind of like shocked. And then for whatever reason, the same issue and the same time, I think Radiohead put out like, Kid A or OK Computer, whatever, whatever like Radiohead record came out at that time. And they got like seven out of 10. And then all of these people started flipping out and like criticizing that publication for giving us a perfect rating and then like not giving, you know, Radiohead a 10 out of 10. And, and it had nothing to do with us, but people like hated The Locust because of it. And we went to England shortly after with the uh, yeah's and like there was a couple nights where we had to be escorted out by the cops and stuff. Cause there was like a riot that was about to happen and stuff. And so like, I kind of had this like, fuck you attitude towards 
things. And like, I mean, there's way crazier shit out there. There was then, there is now, there's always been crazier shit. I guess it was just the fact that we were like scraping, you know, the bottom of like, I guess what's perceived as like mainstream music or something and like getting a reaction. It made us or especially me have that sort of like good, bad attitude. Like I was like, all right, well, fuck you. We want to destroy this shit, you know? And that was kind of like the goal because it was after a while, like it gets pretty old to like hear that your music sucks and that you're not talented and that you're garbage and you're shit and stuff like that. Like after a while, you're like, oh man, I'm going to fucking stab you in the neck next time I hear that shit, you know? And so it was kind of, it was like my sort of like proverbial way to like say like, I'm going to fucking stab you in the neck if you say shit like that. And it was kind of getting, getting to me, I guess. And I was like, you know what? We want to destroy music. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like the time signatures on that record or any record aren't that insane. Like there's way crazier shit out there. There's way more technical stuff. There's way more fucked up stuff. So like, yeah, I should, I shouldn't have said that, but it was just like one time in one interview where like, they were kind of like, I think that they were like kind of coming at us like that, you know? And I was like, that was my reaction, you know, like, I mean, it was, it was a weird time too, because there's a point where it's like, I remember like getting bombarded with interviews because the rest of the locusts were like, fuck this. And I was like, all right, well, someone needs to do it. You know, like anti kept asking, like, we, who's going to do these interviews? And I was like, well, I guess send them my way. Cause everyone else is like getting pissed, you know? And so I, I was just, I remember like just having a bad attitude, a justifiable bad attitude, I guess. So yeah, I don't think that statement holds up. What's the craziest thing that's been thrown at you while playing live? Uh, ham. I think it's probably that was like pretty gross. I guess like getting hit with like ham <laughs> was pretty shitty. I mean, a, a bottle that sucks, but like a bottle it just bounces off of you or whatever shatters. But like ham is like kind of greasy and gross. So that was probably the worst. Okay, so from what you had said early on the previous question and answering, I think what you're trying to tell me is there might be a chance he'd play a cool jazz or R&B set if the gig paid decently, right? <laughs> uh, I, I can't play that kind of music, so uh, <laughs> good fucking luck uh, <laughs> getting me to do that. But I mean, like, I'm not opposed to something if I can actually do it. Okay. One of your latest bands, Death Club, has some D-beat and power violence elements that I can hear. Is there a predetermined sound that you usually have in mind when starting a band or does it all kind of just flow together once you have everybody in the room and then you've built some chemistry? Yeah, I think it, it, a lot of it depends on the, the chemistry. It's funny because when the D beat stuff kind of showed up, I was like, you guys, can we do more of that? And the rest of the band didn't want to. And I did because I've never been able to like play that kind of music or to sing to that kind of music. And I was like, this is the jam, dude. I really want to fucking do this like crust shit. And they were Sounds like great. not into it. Yeah, so I had to like strong arm them into like at least doing a little bit of it. But I, I will say this, like I think it, a lot of it does have to do with chemistry because nobody knew where we were going with it necessarily. And I think like the players are able to be like really, really fucking technical. And and I was like, I don't want to be technical. I want to be like caveman, you know, or whatever. But I mean, I can't, I just sing on it, you know. But we just recently switched a guitar player. So we have a, a new guitar player a second guitar player and um, the new LP that we're working on is like next level. I'm like, I'm over the DB stuff. This new shit's like way fucking cooler. So it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, but that stuff's cool. I was pretty psyched to sing on the DB stuff for sure. Looking forward to the new stuff. Thanks. Before the COVID age, 
the Locust had been sprinkling some shows here and there. And I'm not trying to pry any secret info out of you, but would you say any new recordings are in the future for the band? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, no um, prying. We were actually like kind of just jamming before we ever played Desert Days. I guess that was last year. We were kind of just like casually jamming and writing. And so it just takes forever for that band to write music. We have pushed forward and wrote a chunk of material. And then like this shit happened and we haven't been together for a while. But we do have stuff demoed and we, there is a new, there is the idea of a new record coming out, but it's not anywhere soon or it's not going to be anytime soon. I think it'll take quite a while. But the fact that we're even like in, entertaining the idea collectively is pretty rad to me. Um, I really enjoy everybody in that band and playing music with them and stuff. It's fun. So um, yeah, at some point in the future, there will be a new record. I'm excited. Thanks. For your returning shows, a couple, or I believe maybe one, it was a Desert Days, it included Devo, which to me feels like an influence in an ironic way, because for most people, it wouldn't make sense at all. It'd probably blow their brain up, you know, if you put <laughs> Devo, then the Locust, you know, back to back. But was Devo an influence when starting up? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was an obvious one, but I think all of us obviously really liked that band, but it wasn't like, hey, let's do this molded after them. I mean, I think there was like a series of things that kind of led to what we are now or had been for like the last however long. I think we kind of just started out, to be honest, when we started out The Locust, my involvement with our original drummer, Dave Astor, and our guitar player, Bobby Bray, was to start a band that sounded just like Crossed Out. And then like the like sort of path that we took shifted due to all kinds of different things, lineup changes, being exposed to, more exposed to like, specifically the Moog synthesizers and, and stuff. So like, we were kind of like, oh, let's do that. Like, What influenced that? So the goal was to like be a four piece and sound just like crossed out. And then for whatever reason, the guy that we were going to have sing, who was Dylan from Struggle, wanted to play guitar and wanted his friend Dave be the, the singer. And um, we kind of just rolled with it. And that lineup didn't last long, but Dave had a, a Moog synthesizer and kind of like play these like interludes on a recording we're like dude why don't you just play that in the band all the time on like every song and he was really opposed to it and so then he ended up quitting the band i think because he moved or something and we got jimmy lavelle our first synth player in the band as a keyboard player like as soon as dave and dylan quit me and dave and bobby were like we're getting a keyboard player that was like what we were doing so that was like the path that happened i don't think we would have thought of it if it wasn't for dave warshaw like fucking around with the moog and so it just so happened at that same time i lived a block over from this pawn shop and they had this realistic moog synthesizer which is like the cheapest of like the moog brand you know whatever it was like sold it i think it was like a license to like radio, radio Shack, Shack or something yeah, so they, they had one there for 75 bucks. So Bobby and I bought it, and we were like, Jimmy, play this, because this shit is, like, next level. And at the time, no one, I mean, obviously bands played the Moog, and there was a lot of uh, electronic music, you know, such as Devo or, you know, who whoever uh, before us that, you know, like we were, you know, or like the Screamers or something, or Six Six Butnik, like tons of bands that had, like, electronics and, and synthesizers before us. But we were, like, kind of, like, this sort of crusty, you know, blast beat type band and we we're like let's put keyboards on that because no one else was like playing synthesizers i think maybe the vss might have been around at that point and that but there wasn't a whole lot of like keyboards happening in, in like punk and hardcore brainiac we like, maybe 
Yeah, but I mean, even that seemed like a little bit detached from our world, you know, like, I think maybe there there was like a little bit of synthesizers on the second Antioch Arrow record, which was like right before the Locust started, or the third Antioch Arrow record had a little bit of keyboards on it. So we were kind of like, all right, like keyboards like seem pretty rad. Let's do that. And that was the sort of like path that we steered onto at that point. And then again, like with the having uniforms and stuff, which is a, a lot like Devo, I guess, you know, but we also were like really into the later Beatles and we were also into like the residents and I don't know, other bands that have uniforms or outfits or whatever, you know? And so, but we did it like, not like going like, Hey, these other, these other artists did this. We did it because there was all these people talking shit about the way we looked about our pants and our hair and stuff as normal people. So like, as like sort of like an ironic fuck you, we were like, let's just wear these uniforms. And that was, and then the uniforms kind of became more and more absurd after it became a thing for us. So that's how the uniform concept came about? Yeah, so like we, people were constantly talking shit to us and about us for the way we looked as like normal people. Like it's always about like our haircuts and our pants or whatever. And I was like, what the fuck is the deal here? You know, like it doesn't, like we play music, just focus on that. And so like we were in San Francisco and a lot of people were, you know, again, talking shit. And so we, for whatever reason, we went by this thrift store and they had these, it was like this weird thrift store that had four black fuzzy vests and one white fuzzy vest. And we we're like, well, there's four of them. Let's buy these and wear these. And then that became like, and then the next day we went to Japan with at the drive-in and obviously in Japan, it's awesome. And you could do whatever the fuck you want. People are like psyched on shit that are, that's weird. And so like, it <laughs> felt like, it felt like really comfortable. So we put like one show where people were like flipping out and being dicks to us because we had like fuzzy vest on. And then we went on tour for you know a week <laughs> in Japan and people were like loving it. And, and I think it like helped us, you know? And so we came back from Japan being like uniforms and, you know, then we got goggles and then it became like body suits and masks and shit. And now it's like absurd and it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, I think having like, putting things into like perspective, like having things like Devo happen before us, like you're like, okay, like it's kind of like that, I guess. So I guess what we're doing makes sense. You know, we have like a, not a guideline necessarily, but like, it doesn't seem quite as foreign to us, you know? And then, so like when we went, you know, and played that festival with Devo and hung out with them, it was kind of like, dad, is that you? You know, like, you know, like <laughs> uh, it was kind of, uh, it was like a weird thing, you know, you're like, oh my God. And then like, you know, then one of them even made a comment that like, our uniforms were way better than theirs were that night, you know, and I have to agree with that. But I mean, you know, they were the pioneers of such rad shit. Like I didn't care, but um, yeah, it was definitely something to check off on my bucket list at that point. Well, that's awesome. And there could be an entire podcast episode about the Locust. But one last question that I have is how did you guys get the band name? Funny enough, um, Dylan said, let's call the band Locust. And that, that was, and now he he's like not bugs? in the band. Um, no, I mean, it, it kind of made sense. Like he, he kind of just said it and we're like, okay, like that sounds pretty rad. And also locusts are pretty gnarly insects. And I think it just seemed cool. And like, sort of like this weird, like sci-fi kind of thing. And then there's like, you know, like all the biblical references, like it, it just seemed like pretty rad at the point. And then we got like sued and we had to add the, the to it. And, and then we kind of went with the locust, which is funny because when we were getting sued and adding the to it, I wanted to be called the locusts with an S sort of like the Beatles, but it didn't stick. The rest of the band didn't want to do that. So I don't know. And obviously you're friends with Mike Patton and Dave Lombardo. 
Mike Patton from a plethora of bands, Tomahawk, oh, yeah. Faith No More, just so many, and Dave Lombardo, Suicidal Tendencies, Slayer. But they're also your bandmates in Dead Cross. Yeah. But what's it like playing with heavy hitters in the industry like them? I know you're they're your friends, but I know that at one point growing up in Phoenix, didn't you live near one of the members of Slayer? And now you're yeah. playing with one of them. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Dave, um, but but it is it is a trip. But the thing is, like my interactions with them like was like gradual over time. So like we met Patton through mutual friends, and he put out a Locust record, and then we toured with Phantomos and hung out with Dave. And then it wasn't like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, I'm in a band with these dudes. It was kind of like I hung out with them, and then went on tour with them, and then jammed with them, and then became the band with them, you know, like, so it, it wasn't like a thing that just happened, but I mean, it is pretty surreal at times. And, you know, like I do kind of like trip out occasionally, like recently, like when Patton was like, all right, we're going to have you do like, you know, I want, he, you know, he keeps saying like, you're going to do half the vocals on the new record. And I'm like, dude, that's fucking super flattering. But like, I'm not the singer of dead cross. And I think like our fans are going to be like, who is this fucking dude singing half the shit, you know, but like, it's kind of like things like that where I'm like, what the fuck, man? That's so weird to have him like suggest this or like, again, like Dave's in satanic planet or he's on the record, the whole record now. And it's like kind of weird to be like, Oh my God, I'm in this other project now with Dave Lombardo, which is fucking seems sort of strange in, in some respect, you know? But then it's also like, I kind of trip out on things like, yeah, it's Dave, but like, wait till you hear the satanic planet shit where he's not even fucking playing drums. He's playing like, weird scent stuff you know like it doesn't make sense to a slayer world or whatever you know and i and like him and i are psyched on that you know like that's fucking cool i'm a fan of like challenging people and it's nice to be able to be part of something that is challenging like heavy metal fans i guess that's awesome to hear and you're so well versed in whether it's music or acting or whatever you're doing most people don't know this but you've done some acting, and like you'd mentioned, you've done some voiceovers for Asia Argento's film, Incompresa, and Uncle Grandpa. You were also on Jerry Springer, but I don't want to beat that to death because I'm <laughs> sure people are always constantly asking about that. And plus, you have a documentary. So should we be expecting to see you on a TV screen anytime soon? Obviously, um, the documentary's coming out. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, if someone wants to sign me up, I'm down. That's the thing is like the guy that or the person that asked the question about what was it called? What syndrome was it? Imposter the, um, syndrome. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just kind of like, Oh yeah, let's try that. Let's see what happens. You know, like if someone like believes in me and they want to like, I mean, you know, I didn't know what I was doing when I went on Jerry Springer. I just said, Oh fuck it. Let's do this thing. And then like, it was, you know, and then Ozia like saw a clip of that Springer episode and was like, Oh, let's get that guy. And, and, as this character in this film. And then I, you know, went to like act, you know, with not many people get the opportunity to go act with, you know, with, with Charlotte Gainsbourg. And it was like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And and then I did it. And I, and I remember like Ozia being like, all right, that's a wrap. Like you did the, you know, like this, this scene was like fucking brilliant or whatever. I'm like, what? Like we only did that twice. Like, let me do it again. I could probably do it better. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 that was, you know. And like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I don't ever really know. I just kind of like go have fun and then have a good outlook and hope for the best, you know, and, and it's rad, <laughs> I guess. Not that I'm like overly confident. Cause I don't know if I have that confidence. I think I just like 
am open to trying things and like doing my best and, and having fun with it. Uh, I think that's probably a cooler way to approach things than like most people where they like will study something and be like, all right, to write a song, it has to be like this many measures or this many bars. And it has to be like, in, you know, this BPM or like has to have this sort this many hooks or fucking whatever it is to sell, you know, your shit. I don't know if I want to know what that is. I don't want to know what's marketable. And I just said Asia. I had no idea how <laughs> her name was pronounced. Asia Argento, oh, which is yeah. the, the daughter of Dario Argento. He's done yeah. Suspiria, which um, is totally Tenebrae, yeah. a bunch of different movies. So, you know, yeah. it's just crazy to think. I mean, can you even yeah. speak a little bit more towards that movie that you were in? I mean, it was totally weird <laughs> you know i don't know like i think like getting into it it was just like okay well i got this offer to do this thing it seems pretty strange i don't know if i'm able to do this like but fuck it and then i went and did it and then you know i didn't even really know because i got the script and, and it was in italian so I, I didn't really know much about film and and so then it wasn't till like i don't think i even saw it until i i went to Cannes film festival where it was screened the first time and saw it and it's and what it's, was that um, like at the festival. It's totally crazy. Like that was something too, where I was like, what the fuck am I doing in this, in this situation? It just felt so strange to me, but it was rad. But I mean, seeing it in the theater and I'm like, all right, you know, I mean, even before like the acting parts, like when we scored part of the film, like seeing our names up there and like, you know, like seeing like my name and Gabe Serbian and Luke Henshaw, I was just like, fuck, we did it, dude. This is, this is rad, you know? And it was, it was cool to see all that, you know? And then, and then like, I mean, did you like I, shake, yeah. What did you like shake hands with Robert De Niro or next no, time? there was no, like, I didn't crazy. get this. There was nothing like that. Unfortunately, I didn't like get to do any of that except the people that I worked with on the film. That was the only people that I really ended up interacting with. I actually saw like nobody else outside of like the people that I worked with that was like famous that you'd be like, Oh my God, there's so-and-so like, I didn't see a single famous person. You know, I guess it's probably like going to like South by Southwest too, where you're like, playing a show and you don't really end up seeing anybody else except the people at your show. And then like, you know, the fans or the, the concert goers or the film goers or whatever it is, you know, like you, you don't, I didn't see like anybody else. So it, it was what it was, but it was, it was rad, you know, and, and, and the, the, the main actress in the film, the one that played the little girl, like she was the coolest out of everyone, you know, like coolest to hang out with and like funny and, and like the star, you know, and it was like, that was rad. I guess, you know, just to see how people like reacted to her, I guess was really cool because I think like out of all the people in that film, like she really fucking, you know, she did it. It was great. And like her acting was fantastic. So I don't know. It was cool. It was a trip though, for sure. And to stay on the topic of film, you've got a documentary coming out. Don't fall in love with yourself. I, from what I see, you've already reached the Kickstarter goal. So I'm super excited about that. I don't know if people are still able to, you know, contribute or donate, but can you talk a little bit more about that documentary and if people are able to, you know, put some money towards it, how they're able to do that? Yeah. So my friend, John Nix, who I've kind of known for a while, like sort of hit me up and wanted to do this project. And I was like, you know, like I'm a little skeptical about like doing a piece like about me. It seems kind of weird. And I had a reference point as to what I didn't want to do. And, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say what that reference point is because it's probably not very nice, but, um, I just said, I don't want to do this thing. 
And he goes, okay, we're going to do the opposite of that. And and, and, it, and so far it seems like it, you know, like I don't want to take myself too seriously where like I've seen like my sort of peers, I guess, someone in specific has a documentary that came out about him and it's like kind of like, you know, very like serious and emotional and stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want that to be part of my thing because I, I don't, who the fuck am I? Like, who cares? Like. The locust is cool and some girls is cool or whatever dead cross is cool but like who the f it doesn't matter you know like so if we can just maybe tell something that's a, like a little bit more i guess sincere and a little bit i don't know like for me i'm always like oh, let's find the dark humor in this like let's find the let's make a joke because <laughs> like i don't want to take myself seriously so i think it like came out so far what i've seen like pretty rad but the best part is gabe serbian's interviews he should have a movie made about him, actually. I think he's a fucking brilliant dude. And the shit he says is hilarious. You know, so it is what it is. And and I, I don't, as far as like the Kickstarter thing, like that was all like done by Turnstile Films, you know, John's company and stuff. I kind of was just like, hey, everybody, there's this thing happening. Like if you want to fund it, but I, I don't know, like I feel weird asking for financial support. And so they did it and they got it. And I was shocked. <laughs> I was actually really, I was like, good luck getting that fucking money. And they did it. And if, I think they probably could use more, but I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you could probably just reach out to Turnstile and, and see what they could do. And some of the perks I think are still available. If anybody wants to reach out and donate money and get some of the cool shit that they were giving away. Well, I can't wait to watch it. And JP, <laughs> I'm glad you're doing well. I'm excited Thanks. about all the future recordings and the documentary that's going to come out. But I'd like to say thank you so much for doing this interview. And I look forward to seeing you play with whichever band you're in. Oh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. And good, good luck out there in the world that you're in because it's, it's weird for sure. It's definitely weird. And if you're ever out here in Arizona, I'd love to catch up and just say thanks. But hey, I hope you stay safe out there. And to anyone listening, thanks again. I'll see you next Monday. Thanks, JP. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, there you go, folks. There's JP's episode. We talked about the never-ending changes in the digital age and how that relates to staying relevant in the music industry, some of the horror stories of being on the road, and some soft points such as talking about his pup captain. Dogs are always a good conversation piece, so I think I'll have to use them a little bit more in the future. I think we touched on many great topics, but one that stuck with me after listening back is the concept of, hey, what's stopping you from being who you really want to be? Is it a degree? Is it getting in better shape physically? Is it asking for help from someone who you admire? Or is it simply just stepping into the front door and showing up? We all have to start somewhere, but when we touched on imposter syndrome, it really struck a chord with me because I'm just flying by the end of my chair here and doing what's right to me. I'm not trying to make this into a self-help podcast, but if maybe this inspired you to create something or maybe just embark on something new, then that's good enough for me. As always, thanks for tuning in. You can go to interviewswithchris.com for any previous material or go on any major platform where you can hear a podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe and give some positive feedback. Thanks again, everybody, and I'll see you next Monday.